I remember at Dollar Tree they used to have these little eggs and they had these I don't I don't know why but they had these like little miniature dinosaurs and I used to keep them like in little places like on my desk and in my room so and like they just looked little plastic dinosaurs yeah like, they're okay. little plastic dinosaurs and they were like that big because for some reason my brain went to the dinosaur oatmeal and I'm like, Grace, oh. why are you just having clumps of sugar? Oh, because eggs. Because of eggs. Gotcha. Um, no, and you and said Meyer, and that's typically where I found my dinosaur oatmeal. Did I say Meyer? I thought you said Meyer. I thought I said Dollar Tree. Oh, you might have. We're really not on the same wavelength today. It's been a rough week. Which is really funny because we've been on the same wavelength as like everything else. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Let us, let us get this show on the road. (laughs) I'm so glad I can make you laugh. All I could think was cabbage me outside. (laughs) Let us go. Cabbage me outside. (laughs) Mm. Wow. um, hmm. Hello and welcome to Myths and Misfortunes, the podcast. You know what it is. Um, I am currently dead right now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I am Rachel and that is Grace. No, wait. (laughs) Other way around. I'm Rachel. That is Grace. I'm Grace and that is Rachel. Wow. Uh, I might sound echoey again in this episode because my room... The walls are barren. Um, The walls are barren. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Rachel, where are we today? We are in the barren cityscape of... No. Oh dear. Uh, (laughs) We are in uh, Tokyo, Japan. What? I honestly was expecting a lot more history. And I am honestly going to rely on my weebiness from high school to get me through the pronunciation of a lot of these. Okay, but when you sound like a <laughs> Japanese schoolgirl, I will, <laughs> I will fucking make fun of you. What? You don't w- want me to go, ooh? Ooh, gross. <laughs> Okay, so my sources for the history this week are metro.tokyo.lg.jp, history.com, britannica.com, lonelyplanet.com, worldtravelguide.net, jpninfo.com, so japaninfo.com, and Wikipedia. (laughs) Good old Wikipedia. So the city of Tokyo was originally a small fishing village known as Edo. It was fortified by the Edo clan in the late 12th century. Then in 1603, a military government kind of took rule, known as the Tokugawa shogunate. Uh, Thanks to a man named Tokugawa Eosu, 
During his rule, the city came to be uh, one of the largest cities in the world with a population of up to 1 million by the 18th century. That's wild. You never hear about places having like that many people many. that early. Right. This was the 1700s. But Japan does have so many That's people. True. So. That's true. Um, also, during this time, the area enjoyed a very prolonged period of nothing but peace, which really helped to reinforce that there was there was literally no military f- uh, threat there, despite the fact that they were a military city. <laughs> well, you know. Um, so basically, because no one was going to fight them, the city just prospered and had time to grow and rebuild after each unfortunate natural disaster, such as earthquakes or fires, that just kind of constantly plagued the city like all the time this came to an end in 1853 when american commodore matthew c (laughs) it's just making me think of that um guy on friends whose name is matt perry Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um when american commodore matthew c perry forced the opening of of the shimoda and hakodate ports this increased the demand for foreign goods and a severe rise in inflation, like, within the city. Um, the increase in prices caused a major uprising and rebellions and demonstrations. Yes, we like seeing that, uh, especially in the form of the smashing of rice establishments. Oh. So they're getting real... Yes. Uh, really? Then in 1867, supporters of the Meiji Emperor... I almost said empire, uh, saw these rebellions and used them as leverage to overthrow the Tokugawa shogun. Two years later, the 17-year-old emperor... 17? 17. Fuck, I could barely remember to take a shower when I was 17. (laughs) Moved to Edo, and the city was then renamed to Tokyo, which means the eastern capital. Because the city was already the country's political and cultural center, the emperor living there made it the de facto imperial capital. It's during the Meiji Empire that Tokyo began to assimilate with the Western civilization. The first telecommunication lines opened in 1869, and in 1872, the first steam locomotives started running. Yay. The city was officially established on May 1st, 1889, then on December 30th, 1927, the Tokyo Metro Ginza line between Ueno and Asakusa. We're going to go very American because I don't trust my pronunciation. Asakusa. Asaka was completed. Uh, this was important because this was the first subway built in Japan and in total East Asia. Wow. In 1928, following the enactment of the universal male suffrage, the 16th general elections were held for the House of Representatives of the Dayato. Then in 1931, the Tokyo airport was completed, and in 1941, the port of Tokyo opened. By 1935, the population in Tokyo had grown to 6.36 million. A lot. That's so many. So many. Very much. Many people. Unfortunately... <laughs> Unfortunately, with World War II, there was widespread destruction and death. The deadliest night for the city was on March 9th with the American Operation Meeting House Raid. Mm. Roughly 700,000 bombs fell on the eastern half of the city. Two-fifths of the city was burned completely. 276,000 buildings reduced to rubble. 100,000 people killed and 110,000 injured. 
Between 1940 and 1945, the population had dwindled down to less than 2,800,000 people. After the war, Tokyo struggled to rebuild due to American occupation and did not experience a fast economic growth again until the 1950s. When the occupation ended in 1952, Tokyo rebuilt completely in preparation for the 1964 Olympics. In the 80s, Tokyo took many steps towards economic growth and actually became one of the world's most active major cities, featuring attractions such as cutting-edge technology, information, culture, and fashion. And the city only prospered until the real estate bubble burst in the 1990s, where many were stuck in mortgage-backed debts, which I have a feeling is going to happen again soon. Sounds very familiar. This was followed by a recession from which the city is still slowly recovering from today. On September 7, 2013, the International Olympic Committee selected Tokyo to host the 2020 Summer Olympics. Mm-hmm. It was to be the first Asian city to host the Olympic Games twice. However, COVID happened and the Olympics were postponed until 2021. <laughs> I literally forgot about the Olympics. I forgot that was a thing. Um... Yep. And, you know, not gonna lie, might be postponed again. Probably will be. Yeah. Um, So, of course, post-COVID, if you want to visit the city, there's, like, so much to do. I really feel like I can't give the city justice. Even with the history, I feel like I can't give it justice. And so many people do want to go visit the city. So, according to TripAdvisor, the number one site in Tokyo is the Meiji uh, Jingu Shrine. There is also the Shinjuku Gyoen National Garden. Yomori Land, the Ido Tokyo Museum, Asuka, um, there's another temple, mm-hmm. Ginza, and of course, Legoland and Tokyo Disneyland. Oh, I want to go to Legoland. I want to go to Tokyo Disneyland. I mean that too, but... When you talking about Legoland, go to Tokyo Disneyland. Sounds cool. <laughs> I mean, it does sound cool, yeah. So, Grace, what is your story? Um... Because I actually don't think I know. Mine is particularly short this week um i don't know if we'll have a story um an episode that's this short um since for a while one uh that was like 45 minutes or something like that i'm trying to decide how i want to start this off because so i'll just talk this is the murder of ria isoheta okay so my sources are BBC, uh, BBC.com article by Christine Rowe, a midlife rock, rocksblog.com. Um, I thought you were going to say a mid- midlife crisis. <laughs> this is a midlife rocksblog.com article by James K. Uh, Waitako Times article on Press Reader. Uh, that was archived on there. Uh, TheCanadianNews.com, DivorceSaloon.com, LisaEscott.com, MacLeans.ca, TheAustralian.com, Japan Times uh, article, I couldn't find an author, Reddit.com, and TokyoReporter.com. You have about as many sources as I do. I had more, but they all said the same thing. So Same. That's same. part of the reason why this is so short. So, yeah, um, I get it. There aren't a lot of details that I could find, uh, and there, so there are going to be some like large gaps in the story, some details that I just Me won't too. be able to go into, but I still think it's a very interesting story. Um, have you... I'm going to try to say this correctly. It's a very... It's a long word. 
Have you heard of Waka Reisaseas? It sounds familiar. Have you heard of Splitter Uppers or Break Uppers? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I think it was a weeb. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, for anyone who doesn't... High school. <laughs> I want you to imagine a private detective. Now kind of mix that with the idea of a, a, like a, an actor slash escort. Um, <laughs> they basically tear apart relationships for the most part. Um, reasons someone might use this service include not liking or wanting information on your like a child's significant other, wanting to reconcile with a spouse or an ex of some sort, uh, not wanting to divorce your spouse but wanting to end their affairs, um, to get alimony for a divorce, or like, wanting to divorce your spouse, but needing evidence of cheating to get a divorce, which mm-hmm. is the one we're going to go on to. Oh, um, hmm. That's, that last one's important, because it's the one I'm going to be talking about. So, okay. the thing about divorce in Japan is that a divorce usually falls into one of three categories. I mean, I feel like it's pretty common for these to be the main three categories anywhere, well, but... Yeah. First, there's, like, mutual, so, like, a married couple decides they no longer want to be married, and they just go get a divorce. Second is when a person wants to get divorced and the other doesn't, so they have to go to, like, a family court and go through all this mediation, and the one, the person who wants to get divorced has to show proof of either adultery or the other person committing a serious crime. Mm-hmm. Third, and so... After they have this information, they can probably be like, mm, no, you can stay. You can stay in my marriage. No, you Just can stay. <laughs> it's, cool. it's cool. Uh, third is when it would be detrimental for the two people to remain married. Like, one of them would be in danger if they were around the other person. Mm-hmm. So, the second one is mainly where the break-uppers come in. Because that's what, um, I forgot to mention that, uh... Waka Risa Seya translates to breaker upper or break uppers. No, you said that. Or I guess it was insinuated. You didn't like actually I insinuated say it. it, was it insinuated. But... Yeah. Okay. So when someone suspects or knows that their spouse is cheating, they hire like a breaker a upper. Break upper to basically infiltrate their spouse's life and potentially the life of the person their spouse is cheating with. And so I'll, I'll give an example. I um, say that. Jim and Joanna are married, and Joanna suspects that Jim is cheating and wants to get rid of his mistress. She would hire a break-upper, give them details on her husband's life, his movements, routines, like where he spends time outside of work. So that break-upper takes photos and finds out whether Jim is really cheating. So say Jim is cheating and he hangs out at the bar after work. So a male agent goes to that bar when they know that Jim's going to be there. They make friends with Jim and, you know, eventually build up a rapport with him until he says Confesses. that he has a girlfriend mm-hmm. as well as a wife. Mm-hmm. So that male agent starts getting information about that girlfriend. Let's call her Sarah. <laughs> cool. Sarah and Jim. Okay. Sarah. So then a female agent finds and befriends Sarah based on the information that the male agent got from Jim. And this is where things get 
wow, there's so many moving parts in this. There's a lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. The female agent gets Sarah to hang out with her where Sarah is introduced to another male agent who, thanks to the info that female agent got from befriending Sarah, is seemingly Sarah's perfect man. Mm. So Sarah this is, is going sed- different than I thought it would. Right. Sarah is seduced by and starts dating the new agent she thinks is her dream man and stops seeing him, Jim. Mm-hmm. It's important to note that most of the time, the agents do not sleep with the targets. Most that would of the time. Be breaking their um, laws on sex work. So. Mm-hmm. Slowly, the male agent, um, Sarah thinks is her soulmate, starts pulling away and then the two eventually break up without Sarah ever knowing that he was hired to help split her relationship up with Jim. And that's how, like, you would get a mistress away from somebody. I mean, that's, that's, that's mean, but also they shouldn't be a mistress in the first place. That's suspecting that she knows. This is true. He could totally be a John Tucker and not tell his... Other girlfriends. Sure. <laughs> so, but the thing is, Jim can just continue and keep doing, his, like, keep getting mistresses, but that's whatever. So, yeah. it's really, really involved, and it can last weeks to months in some cases. So, as you can imagine, it costs a lot of money. Depending on the client, target, uh, information provided, amount of people required to pull it off, for some professionals they can- The number of dates the guy has to go on. Exactly. And so they can charge between like 3800 to $190,000 US mm, dollars. Going for that 190000 get me a house out of that. <laughs> the initial con- consultation fee is like 100 bucks, and the average case lasts like three months. Mm-hmm. Sounds uh, about right. Yeah, and there are a surprising number of firms that handle this sort of thing. According to that article on BBC I mentioned, one survey showed around 270 of these agencies advertising online under names like Ladies Secret Service and Office Shadow. Like, Ladies Secret Service. Ladies Secret Service. (laughs) You know what that means, guys. We are totally spies. Oh, totally spies. What a good show. That was such a great show. What a good show. Um, and a lot of those are attached to private detective firms, and I don't know about the others. I'm assuming they're, like, freelance. Mm-hmm. And I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that there's, um, like, there's so many people in Japan, and um, a big part of, it seems, a big part of their culture is to be as non-confrontational as you can. I'm a very non-confrontational person also, so I can, like, I kind of can get behind this. And I'm sure it's a lot easier to avoid confrontation with a spouse you suspect is cheating. Um, Especially if you're already married. Yeah. Uh, And it is still considered controversial, and not a lot of people like to admit to being involved with something like that. I thought you said evolved for a second, and I was like... (laughs) Involved? (laughs) I was like, we're evolving to that? Why? So they don't really want to, like, admit that they were involved, mainly when they've been a target. Yeah. And I can imagine why, like, nobody wants to admit to cheating, A, but also nobody wants to admit when they've been manipulated in that sort of Mm -hmm. way. And that's not to say that it's, like, not on them for cheating. Like, it is. Yeah. 
I don't know, it's, I still feel like it's not, there are a lot of victims in the situation, like that, like, if- Like Sarah. Like Sarah, if she didn't know that Jim was dating somebody, I mean, in one way you kind of got her away from a relationship that would have probably ended, ended badly. badly, yeah. But on the other hand, like, that's extremely manipulative. Because <laughs> she thinks she's going out with this great guy- and then, and then all of a sudden yeah. he's gone and I he can, wasn't I can, even real i can see where it would make someone very afraid to go on dates and i understand being afraid to go on dates and meeting people cuz just wait <laughs> manipulation unfortunately <laughs> is a very big thing in relationships and it sucks yeah so that brings us to 32 year old uh brea isoheta Oh, uh, that's a pretty last name. He's such a hater. No, um, it was a little hard. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it was a little hard to piece this together, so, like, bear with me. In, like, 2006, 2007, Rhea's husband, whose name was never mentioned in any source mm-hmm. at all. Uh, so we're going to say they probably split. Wanted to divorce Rhea, but mm. wanted to keep custody of their five-year-old son. Mm. Um I don't know if the divorce itself was mutual. I saw that it was suspected that she was cheating on him with an old college friend. That's the worst. But surely in order to get full custody of their son, he would have to show proof that the ending of the marriage was her fault. So he hired Takeshi Kuwabara, a break-upper, to get him the evidence he needed. So Kuwabara tracked Rhea down, found out, you know, the stuff she liked, you know, his job. So he created a fake persona, persona in which his name was Hajime, and he was a sort of nerdy-looking guy with a job in IT. He was a, he was a computer engineer, and he created a sort of meet-cute at a supermarket um, in Tochigi Prefecture, north of just north of Tokyo. He bumped into her in the grocery and the genius pickup line uh, he used was literally just him asking her if she knew a place that sold good cheesecake. You know what? I would fall for someone asking if they knew me. If, if they knew me. If they knew where to find some good, good cheesecake. cheesecake. Well, don't go to the cheesecake factory if you want a really good cheesecake. <laughs> if you want a really good cheesecake, don't let me make it for you. I burned one once. Ooh, let my mom make it for you. She makes this amazing lemon cheesecake. It's so fucking good. Um, Welcome to the family. <laughs> so things escalated from there, and eventually, whether it was weeks or months later, I don't know, but the two were photographed entering a um, love hotel where rooms are rented by the hour. And in November of 2007... I could get a great nap in. Oh, I know, right? I mean, the sheets are probably disgusting. Oh, you for sure have to bring your own sheets. But actually, I I think I would have one of those like pop up like napping pods. You know what I mean? Ooh, like a pop up tent. Yeah. Yeah, one yeah. person tent. You got this. Anyway, in November of two thousand seven, Rhea's husband used those photos to get a divorce. The thing is, though, is that Kuobara, the break upper, had fallen in love with Rhea and Aww. the relationship between the two continued without Rhea knowing his real identity and in that he was already married with children. Except for that. Yeah, and the two moved in together on the opposite side of town from his family. 
Ooh. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Ooh. after two years together, she did find out because paying for two homes and lives, Kuwabara soon ran out of money and fought with his employer, which well, no kidding. ended up revealing his true occupation to Rhea. And he was also in debt and owed loan sharks. Yep. So, obviously, mm. she decided to leave him. Uh, unfortunately, he refused to let her go, and in an argument in April of 2009, he ended up strangling her with a piece of rope lying around their home. Oh, no. Yeah. There's Poor no dick. real information about what happened next, um, mm-hmm. whether he called the police and confessed, whether he did something else and somebody ended up finding out. They're just, I don't know. But the next information they have is, like, fast forward to the f- the trial in February of 2010. Mm-hmm. Kuwabara said that in the beginning it was, you know, just a job to him, but he mm-hmm. really did fall in love with her. He said he told lie after lie in fear that she would hate him, that he was driven into a corner. He also said it was an accident, all that shit. Mm. He also said that he still loves her. Mm. Yeah. Rhea's father told the court and later reporters, quote, For the rest of my life, I will never forgive the defendant or my daughter's ex-husband who hired him. This has devastated not just my daughter's life, but those of my grandchildren and me. End quote. That's bad. That's sad. He also said that he will never be able to forgive a business that toys with the emotions of human beings, and I don't entirely blame him. Yeah, same. The prosecution asked for 17 years, but in the end, Takeshi Kuwabara was sentenced to 15 years, and as far as I know, he hasn't been released yet, so that would mean he's expected to be released in 2025, four years from now. He is, however, required to pay Ray's family a little over, in U.S. dollars, 380000 Not enough. I mean, definitely not enough, but... Right. Ray's family also sued the company Kuwabara worked at for around, again, American, U.S. money, uh, $160,000. And apparently they did win that settlement, so... Yay. They deserve to win it. Mm Mm-hmm. That case sort of brought to light a lot about the, um... The practice? Waka Resaseya business. Waka Resaseya? Yes. That people hadn't really talked about, and to be honest, during all of this, people focused more on the fact that the murderer was, um, a Waka Resaseya rather than Rhea herself being the murdered person. Mm-hmm. And the case led to a lot of distrust in the breaker-upper business and seemed to make a lot of people paranoid that they would be the next target. Yeah. And along with fraud cases, uh, Rhea Isoheta's murder inspired some reform in the industry, including a requirement that private detective agencies obtain licenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, this included a um, sort of clampdown on online advertising of the, their services, and like, like I said, a lot of suspicion on part of, on the part of the public, which made it harder for like breaker uppers agents to carry out their work. Um, but. It's been, like, 10 years, and, like, there now there are, like, 300 agencies advertising online, and business seems to be booming, despite the controversy and amount of money it costs. So, mm. 
There was a book written by London-based writer Stephanie Scott titled What's Left of Me is Yours, which was loosely based on the uh, Isahita case, and she actually researched the case so extensively that she was made an associate member of the British Japanese Law Association, which I thought was cool. That is super cool. So That's I'm, really good. Great I'm for read her. It. It's got a 4.2... Uh, it's got 4.2 stars on Amazon, so, like, go read that, but... Out of five? Yes. Ooh, that's really good. But that was, a uh, that was my story, uh, I just really want to know how that works now with, like, the rise of social media. I want to know if, like, they create fake social media accounts to go along with it. I wonder if they, like, make Ooh. their relationships Facebook official. I want to know all of that sort of stuff. To be fair, most people do not make their, uh, relationships Facebook official until at least about three to five months into a relationship. I would not know. Alright, so my story this week is about the man from Torod, or however you want to pronounce it, Torod, because oh, the entire the entire time I was writing my story, I thought it was Torod, because I'm like, oh, Taurus. Mm-hmm. Torod. I just watched a video, someone said Torod. So my sources are English.news nationtv.com, brianwallispa.com, ancientorigins.net, quora.com, easternctparanormal.com, reddit.com, science101.com, a YouTube video titled Man from a Country That Doesn't Exist by the infographics uh, show, spoilers, uh, medium.com, booksofmystery.blogspot.com, conspiracytheoryarchives.com, mysteriousworld.fandom.com. In case you didn't gather by the second to last source, this is a conspiracy theory. What? what? I did one but last week and you're doing one this week. Who? Conspiracy theories, Grace. Everything's made up. Everything is a man-made construct. Okay. On to my story. One hot summer day in July of 1954... Everything was going as per usual at the uh, Hanada Airport, otherwise known as the Tokyo International Airport. Planes were coming in and out all over the world, you know, as they do, letting off people of all races, religions, gender, etc. from their airplanes in order to switch flights or go about their business in Tokyo, because why not? One thing that is still very common among, you know, flights are businessmen, especially those who fly in and out of Japan. Caucasian businessmen were very common, and the man who approached the customs counter on this day was no different. He was very neatly dressed. Very neatly dead. (laughs) He was very neatly dead, yes. How polite. (laughs) You know, he's not one of those rude deads. Nobody likes a messy dead. No. Um, he was very neatly dressed and middle-aged and spoke, you know, pretty fluent Japanese, despite the fact that his primary language appeared to be French. Hmm. I actually didn't know that. He apparently spoke multiple languages fluently. He's, like, diverse. When this man handed the customs agent his passport, the agent was thoroughly confused. The passport was blue, but had, like, a faint purple color to it. Mm-hmm. Which, if you know what a passport looks like, most of the time they're, like, dark blue or, in some countries, like, dark red. Yeah, yeah. Not purple. Right. And it had a design on the front that he had never seen before. Kind of florally. The customs agent then noticed the country's name on the man's passport. And it read. To red. Spoilers. That was in the title. 
Oh my god. Oh my god, what? Now, this was a well-worn passport, so it was used a lot, and it seemed, it was very legitimate. It felt like a passport, looked like a passport, had the same glossy texture, blah blah blah. Even it had stamps in it. However, the country of Tourette does not exist. The passport, however, like I said previous, like a second ago, had stamps in it, and it showed that the man had been in Tokyo previously and other countries. Now, this perplexed the customs agent a little bit. Understandable. And he was slightly worried. So he signaled for some customs officers to take him away and interrogate him. Because this country doesn't exist. This guy could be, like, a bomber. To be fair. Of some sort. To be fair, I did see a video where somebody was in another state and a woman who was, they were trying to renew their driver's license, and this woman literally said that she couldn't accept her license because Indiana wasn't a real place. So. However. That very well could. Tired. Tired. We are towered. I'm tired. I'm tired. Um. <clears throat> hey, moral how of the story. With how it's pronounced when it's not even a real place. Exactly. That's what I was about to say. It's not a real place. So it could be Tourette, could be Towered, could be Torre Tower. Ooh, Torre. Yes. Anyway, um the he signaled for the officers to take the man away and interrogate him because this could be a false passport, it could be a criminal. On these suspicions, the man was pulled aside and his belongings were taken from him essentially. Uh, but very common, apparently. <laughs> anyway, he was questioned further while his belongings were searched through. They found in the man's wallet multiple forms of currencies from various European countries. That, along with the man's knowledge of multiple languages, kind of helped to cement that this guy was a frequent flyer. He's been, like, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. The customs officer... Asked the man, you know, the usual questions. Are you passing through or will you be staying in Tokyo? Are you here on business or pleasure? Yada, yada, yada. Apparently the man got a little frustrated with these questions, which I kind of understand because it's... If you're visiting someplace, you're like, I'm here to do something. Stop asking me so I can go do it. Yeah. But safety. Anyway, the man answered that this was his third time in Tokyo. He was here on business, and he had a reservation at a nearby hotel for the night. When the man was questioned where Tourette was, he indicated that it was a country on the border of France and Spain that had been in existence for nearly a thousand years. Upon reviewing the map, custom officials found that this country was not Tourette, but a country called Andorra. When shown the map, the man was very, very confused as to why this country of appeared to be named Andorra when it was clearly to red. Um, what does Andorra call itself? Andorra. Hmm. It's still Andorra. It's, it's, it's a little tiny dot on a map. Hmm. Both sides refused to concede that the other might be right, of course. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that the company the man claimed to work for existed in Tokyo. However, he was not on the employee register. The company the man told them that he was meeting with had no record of this meeting on their calendars and did not recognize the man nor the company that he supposedly worked for. What? And the hotel that he said he had, you know, the night in Mm -hmm. also existed, but there was no booking at the hotel for him. Oh. They even checked to see if the bank listed on his checkbook was an actual bank. 
and it wasn't. The custom officials were at a loss on what to do. They did, however, know that letting him go was not an option in case he was dangerous. Because they could not keep him detained overnight at the airport, they put him in a room at the nearby hotel while they continued looking into literally everything. And just to be safe, they placed a couple of guards outside of his room's doors and the only entrance and exits so he could not escape unnoticed. The next morning, when officers reached the man's room, they were surprised to find there were no signs of him or his belongings. Mm -hmm. There were no signs of escape. He could not have gone out the window as it was completely sealed shut and several stories off the ground. And even the belongings of his that the custom officers had detained were suddenly missing from their storage unit. What? So, there are many theories on what could have happened here. The first theory is that this guy was from a completely different dimension where the country of Andorra is actually the country of Tored. And this guy just kind of slipped through a cut in the fabric of space and time. I am here for this theory. Because according to the Matrix, if the universe decided to correct itself, then it would take the man and all of his belongings that didn't belong in this universe. Back to where they came from. Back to his own universe. Mm -hmm. And it would be like it never happened in the first place. That's so weird. I'm here for it. Yeah. Another theory is that the man was actually a time traveler from the future, and Andorra is to red in the future. <sighs> I couldn't find anything that really went into depth with that. Although it would make sense. He would have to be from way, way in the future. He would have to be way in the future, but also why would you come back to a time where your country doesn't exist? Right. I feel like you would research it enough because they covered this in Phil of the Future. Like, God. They did. In our all-time favorite theory, Aliens. He's an alien. Aliens. Duh. Duh. Of course. Of course. Of course. Um, then also would do their research too. Not necessarily. Think about Doctor Who and all the aliens who have screwed up because they've not done their research. But they would they would look up a legitimate country if they're like this specific country, a random ass country. They would look up the name at least. I feel like if it's a super lazy alien, which we know exists because they are super lazy humans... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're going to go through the effort of going through customs when you're a fucking alien <laughs> and can probably just, like, beam yourself there. True. A little spotty. A little spotty. <laughs> beam me up, Scotty. Unless he was just a little bit like, unless he was like, I want to ride an airplane today. I want to see how they do it. You know? Yes. I want to be human for one day, riding an airplane from Philadelphia to Tokyo. Then, of course, there's also the belief that this was all just made up, like a creepypasta, which seems to be the, you know, logical thing, because the story can be traced back to a book written by Colin Wilson and John Grant in 1981 titled The Directory of Possibilities. Oh, really? I just want to say, what a name for a book. It sounds like an accounting manual. The Directory for Possibilities. And this was also before the internet. But at the same time, wouldn't a story like this be found in old newspapers? I mean... And that's what a lot of people bring up, is even in 1950, they had newspapers, so you still would be able to find it. Yeah, true. I don't... That's weird, though. It's... Yeah. There are similar stories to this... Back in 1851, a man by the name of Joseph Voren appeared one day in Frankfurt an der Oder, Germany, in a very disoriented state. He spoke in a barely understandable form of German and didn't know any other European languages. He claimed to come from an... 
He claimed to come from a country called Lexaria on the continent of Sacria. Neither of those places existed at the time, and they still don't exist today. He then proceeded to tell the authorities that he had traveled across the ocean in search of his long-lost brother, but got shipwrecked and had no idea where he was. He was from the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> he was from the Bermuda Triangle. Then in Paris in 1905, a some sources said a boy, some sources said a young man, was caught stealing a loaf of bread. When he was confronted by officers, he spoke in an unknown language. He eventually was able to communicate that he was from Lisbia, and at the time, the authorities thought the boy meant to say Lisbon, but when a Portuguese interpreter came in, he confirmed that the boy was not speaking Portuguese and was not from Portugal. Hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, and also fortunately for the boy, because they realized they had a bigger mystery on their hand than they anticipated, they let the boy go and he was never seen again. Weird. I wonder if he did it on purpose. Oh, for sure. That mm, that would be really funny. What a weird way to get out of something. I'm from this made-up country. <laughs> well, that's I am weird. from you this country. Go. You can go. I'm from this country you have never heard of. I barely speak your language. Don't arrest me. <laughs> anyway, theories are that what happened with the man from Tered also occurred with these two stories. And boy, that's kind of crazy. That's... Whew. It's definitely weird that there's a kind of... I don't know. I still kind of fall behind the Matrix thing. Like, especially in the older cases, like the two cases I feel also like this France should be and... called the Cotton Eye Joe Conspiracy. Ooh, Where did I they like come that. from? Where did they go? Where did they go? <laughs> I like that. Yes, the Cotton Eye Joe Conspiracy. Just... Yes. No, but really, I really do feel that this is like a matrixy type thing because if, i don't know it just makes sense and everything i've seen s- supernatural or time travel related you cannot be in the same place as you were or you will disrupt history <laughs> you can't go back in history or you will disrupt re- disrupt history so the universe will obviously try to take you out well, and I put think, you back where you belong i think it's also a possibility something to consider that he was just a really really great forger and yes that he was just that he was just fucking with people i i also wonder whether he just wanted to see if it would work. Like, I wonder if he took a real passport and then replaced the cover with, with a, fake, a passport? fake passport cover just to see yeah. what would happen. There is also this theory that was brought up on Reddit that this he might have been just a severely mentally disturbed man and he had somehow managed to get away from the guards. But that wouldn't explain his stuff that was in storage disappearing. It would not, and that's why I'm like, no, it's a matrix. I think he was a spy. He wasn't supposed to exist. I mean, yes, and he could have been a spy. somebody fucked up the print job, and they're like, <laughs> you know what? Nobody's gonna notice. Nobody's gonna know. Nobody's gonna know. Nobody's gonna know. Nobody's gonna, Nobody's know. gonna, Nobody's know. gonna go. do 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 Okay, yeah, that was my story. If you enjoyed an unsolved conspiracy theory, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Miss Misfortune, or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. 
You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com and please, please check out our website at mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright and our art was created by Heather Marie Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you can, especially on iTunes. It's super important to us. We'd appreciate it. You all are awesome. We super appreciate it. You guys are amazing. Thanks so, so much Thank for you. listening. Bye-bye. Goodbye.